the rest of you can turn your Bibles to, uh, um, well, today's going to be a little different uh, in the fact that we're going to, um, kind of c- covering a theme in Scripture in, in Revelation. If you want to go to Revelation 17, you can, but we're going to be kind of bouncing around a little bit as well. Um, kind of, the title of this message kind of this morning, Trending 2024, because I was thinking about uh, kind of both, both what's happening in Revelation and what kind of a theme that I want to cover, and also what we can in some ways expect in 2024, like what's going on in the world today that we could also expect to happen. And uh, when you look at prophecy in Scripture, you, it's, a lot of times you're focused in on details and you're trying to figure out what's going to happen in the future. But there's another aspect of prophecy, which is just kind of the themes of Scripture. And it, it, can, be, it can, can be called idealism in the sense of seeing, seeing the ideals that are there, the big picture that is there. Um, and sometimes idealists just want to see the big picture and don't want to see the details, which is bad. But uh, seeing, the, seeing the, the theme is also important, too. And, and when we talk about uh, the, the world in which we live, uh, we're, we're focused in on kind of what's happening in the world, right? We're, we're wondering what's going on, what's going to happen, what, what are the trends, what, where's this headed? And of course, we get worried at times, other times we're happy. Like if you're uh, a Brock Purdy or 49ers fan, you're, you're, uh, you're happy this morning because the Packers kicker missed a kick, Right? If you're a Packers fan, you're hating it, right? Because uh, they they missed out because uh, they, they probably would have done better if they'd made that kick. Um, but that's all beside the point this morning. We're uh, looking at the theme of city 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 throughout Scripture, and uh, it starts, if you will, back all the way in Genesis chapter four. The first mention of cities in the Bible is in Genesis chapter four in relation to Cain, where it says Cain knew his wife and she conceived. And bore Enoch. When he built a city, he called the name of the city after his son, the name of his son Enoch. Uh, and so here we have Cain, who is trying to live his life apart from God, right? On his own merits, if you will. And he makes a city, builds a city, he names it after his son. He's trying to, uh, in a sense, preserve his legacy, if you will, through the means of a city. Um, you take that even further, in Genesis chapter 11, we get to the Tower of Babel, and you see them saying, right, this is their kind of their main purpose, he says, come, let us build ourselves a city and a tower with its top in the heavens, and let us make a name for ourselves, lest we be dispersed over the face of the whole earth. And here, so here you have, you get kind of Babel, which becomes in later in the Old Testament and then into the New Testament, Babylon, right? This idea that it's not just a, a place and a city, but it's, it's an idea, if you will. It's this idea that we can set up for ourselves something that will pro- provide glory to us, promote us, protect us, and, and provide for us what we want out of life, which is meaning and significance in life. And that, you see that, that idea not just in Babel and during Babylon, but you see that theme echoed throughout Scripture with Tyre being a commercial, and then Rome in the New Testament. And uh, I just ran across this quote, which I think is helpful for us to think about. It says, it says, already in Genesis, Babel or Babylon represents the idolatrous quest for human glory and revolt against God. 
Babylon the Great in the Apocalypse, that is in Revelation, is the seed of Nimrod in full flower, right? Nimrod was this guy who wanted power and authority and glory for himself. It's the world's idolatrous, seductive political economy, the quintessential pagan city. Karen Apley writes, Rome is the simp- simply the latest embodiment of something that is a recurrent feature of human history. The great city is the spiritual home of those John dubs inhabitants of the earth. It is the Tower of Babel, the city of this world, Vanity Fair, right from Pilgrim's Progress. Thus, John's spiritual explanation of the great city challenges the church to see their location aright. Jesus' witnesses reside and testify in hostile territory. Beyond, behind Rome's lavishness is Sodom's corrupting licentiousness. Caesar's peace secured through violence amounts to Pharaoh's house of bondage from which God's people must flee lest they share in her plagues. Christians follow the lamb on the Calvary road, yet God will avenge their blood shed in Babylon, Revelation 19.2. And so he's, we have these, in a sense, what we see in, in Revelation is we, one of the themes is you see the Trinity. You see God the Father, God the Son, and God the Spirit working together to establish, not just establish, but to complete their reign, right? And to secure their people. But you also see uh, these two cities that are set up against each other um, at the end of Revelation, but it's a theme that's throughout Revelation, and so I wanted to focus on it this morning. It echoes what, uh, in Hebrews 11, what Abraham looked forward to, right? It says, by faith Abraham obeyed, when he was called to go out to a place that he was to receive it as an, inherit, as an inheritance. And he went out, not knowing where he was going, right? Abraham lived by faith. He said, I don't know exactly what my inheritance is going to look like. I don't know exactly what, what's ahead for me. But I believe in God's promises. I'm going to trust God's commands and obey them, right? By faith, he went to live in the land of promise as in a foreign land, living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, heirs with him of the same promise. So he was willing to live in a land which God said was his, but as if it wasn't his, he didn't own actually any of it until his death for his tomb. Why is that true? For he was looking forward to the city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. And so what Abraham does here, and and opposed to the Tower of Babel, and opposed to Cain, is he says, I want God to set up the city. I want God to establish establish my glory. I want God to establish my security. I want to be with him first and foremost. And what you see as we get into it this morning in Revelation is you're going to see this city that wants to be uh, apart from God, not, not with God at all, wants to get God out of their lives and the destruction that results from that. And you're going to see the city that is God welcomed and present and with us all in the New Jerusalem. So let's look at these a little bit further. And first of all, first of all, beware the trending city. Beware the trending city. Revelation chapter 17. If you have your Bibles, you can follow along. I've got it here on the text as well. The screen that says, Then one of the seven angels who had the seven bowls came and said to me, Come, I will show you the judgment of the great prostitute who is seated on many waters with whom the kings of the earth have committed sexual immorality, and with, and with the wine of whose sexual immorality the dwellers on earth have become drunk. And he, so he's got, he's got these pictures here, this woman on a, on a sea. Um, so he carried me away in, in the spirit into a wilderness, and I saw a woman sitting on a scarlet beast that was full of blasphemous names and had seven heads and ten horns. 
And the woman was arrayed in purple and scarlet and was adorned with gold and jewels and pearls, holding in her hand a golden cup full of abominations and the impurities of her sexual immoralities. And on her forehead was written a name of mystery, Babylon the Great, mother of prostitutes and of the earth's abominations. So here's this city that's pictured as a woman, sitting on a beast, um, amongst many waters. And so you have this picture, uh, he concludes the paragraph by saying, And I saw the woman drunk with the blood of the saints, the blood of martyrs of Jesus. When I saw her, I marveled greatly. And of course, we, I'm going to skip some intervening details because they're more focused on what other things, and I want to focus in on the woman here as the city, for, for this morning at least. And it says, and the, and the angel said to me, The waters that you saw where the prostitutes seated are peoples and multitudes and nations and languages. One of the common kind of metaphors for the peoples of the earth besides the Jewish people is the sea, right? This, uh, this, oh, this chaotic group that... that uh, a lot of people are mixing and merging and, and moving around in, and that's the same kind of picture here. And the ten horns that you saw, they and the beast will hate the prostitute, that is the woman, and they will make her desolate and naked and devour her flesh and burn her up with fire. For God has put it into their hearts to carry out his purpose by being of one mind and handing over their royal power to the beast until the words of God are fulfilled. And the woman that you saw is the great city that has dominion over the kings of the earth. So here we have the city that has dominion over the kings of the earth. Um, and of course, then people debate, well, is this an actual city or not? I want to focus not so much on whether it's an actual city or not. I want to focus on what the city is this morning. And the kings of the earth who committed sexual immorality and lived in luxury with her will weep and wail over her when they see the smoke of her burning, even though they hate her. Um, and so, uh, what is he saying here? First of all, he's comparing this city as a wo- to a, a, a woman who is, in a sense, selling her, her wares to, to, to get the, the earth, the peoples of the earth, to do what, she, in a sense, is good for her. And you have, the, you say, well, what is, what, what is she exactly? Well, I think we get a better picture when we skip to... Um, to Revelation 18 here, and, and, and see what, what, when you talk about the judgment of, of her, what are they talking about? They will stand afar off in fear of her torment and say, Alas, alas, you great city, you mighty city Babylon, for in a single hour your judgment has come. And the merchants of the earth weep and for her, since no one buys their cargo anymore. A cargo of gold, silver, jewels, pearls, fine linen, and purple cloth, silk, scarlet cloth, all kinds of scented wood, all kinds of articles of ivory, all kinds of articles of costly wood, bronze, iron, and marble, cinnamon, spice, incense, myrrh, frankincense, wine, oil, fine flour, wheat, cattle, and sheep, horses and chariots, and slaves, that is, human souls. The fruit for which your soul longed has gone from you, and all your delicacies and all your splendors are lost to you, never to be found again. The merchants of these wares who gained wealth from her will stand afar off in fear of her torment, weeping and mourning aloud. Alas, alas, for the great city that was clothed in fine linen and in purple and scarlet, adorned with gold, with jewels, and with pearls. For in a single hour all this wealth has been laid waste, and all shipmasters and seafaring men, sailors, and all whose trade is on the sea stood afar off and cried as they saw the smoke of her burning. What city was like the great city? And they threw dust on their heads as they wept and mourned, crying out, Alas, alas, for the great city, where all who had ships at sea grew rich by her wealth, for in a single hour she has been laid waste. 
Rejoice over her, O heaven, and you saints and apostles and prophets, for God has given judgment for you against her. So here we have this city, and the primary function, it seems, in the judgment, you see, the primary function that she had, in a sense, was to get people wealthy, right? To make people rich, and by their wealth to have glory. So if you take the theme of that city from Babel and Genesis 11 all the way through, what you see is this city who, who it started in Babel and in the Tower of Babel, these people who said, you know what, we don't need God. We don't need to follow God's commands. We're going to establish a name for ourselves. And by doing so, we're going to be great. And we now see the full flower of that, in a sense, with this Babylon who's, who's saying, hey, the whole world is rich because... We're, we're doing our thing. We're buying and selling. We're making money. We're, we're giving people wealth and status and power. And, and the, this riches provides the glory that they want. And we don't need God anymore. We don't need God's grace in our lives. We don't need God's, God's law in our lives. We just need money and power and glory that we can get for ourselves and it, uh, Daniel 7 echoes this a little bit when he talks about the last beast, when he says, Then I desired to know the truth about the fourth beast, which is different from the rest, exceedingly terrifying with its teeth of iron and claws of bronze, which devoured and broke in pieces and stamped with his left with his feet. And here you, I just want to focus in on that last phrase there, which devoured and broke in pieces and stamped what was left with his feet. You have this picture of the, the world's governments who both use this economic engine, if you will, for their own purposes, but hate it at the same time. And at the same time, they're not concerned about the people of the earth. They don't care about people's souls and people's needs. They just, they just use people to get what they want. Their own power, their own glory. And it's no, it's, it's interesting here because it's not, the picture is not so much that God pr provides direct judgment of this city as much as it is that the, it says that the beast and the kings of the earth hate the city and, 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 and burn it with fire. It's like they, they, they don't want, and so it's, it's hard to know exactly what this looks like in the end, but if we put it in, in, some, in today's terms, you've got, You've got Amazon, you've got these companies who make the world rich by trading and selling, right? And you've got governments that are having to make decisions, right? I mean, it was in the 90s. I, I'll show that I grew up in the 90s because the, the political climate at the time, the, the, the buzz phrase was, it's the economy, stupid. Like, the, you're, like you're, you're going to get elected if you pr provide a good co economy to, to, to the American citizens, right? That's the whole thing how it works and the the thing is i think in politics we we know it's a game to an extent but at the same time they, they have they're constrained in their decisions by the economics that they face right and at some point the kings of the earth are going to hate those economic constraints and the the everybody searching for glory on their own and, and, and having to manage that, and like, we don't want this anymore. And we don't know exactly how it's all going to pan out. But what, what you see in the city is that people, they're not for 
one another. They're for themselves. They're individualistic. They, they just want to be rich. They want glory for themselves. And they, they have no concern for God at all. And, and, and if we look broadly at the world today, you'd say that's broadly the case with people who don't want to love God or pursue him at all. They want their own glory. They want their own wealth. And they want their own security regardless in some ways of anyone else they cast off god they find other messiahs rather than jesus (laughs) the world today is a multi-cultural place right if if you go to russia russia is not concerned about the same things we're concerned about right russia is not concerned with everyone getting wealth what they are concerned is is making russia's name great they're willing to throw hundreds of thousands of their sons at a war that they can't seem to win, all for the, the, to make Russia great and, and Putin great. So like this great man idea for Russians is a, is a huge thing. You say, why, why would they do that? They're, they don't have the same values as us, in a sense. But, but they're still want, they don't want God in the picture either. They want, they want some other thing other than God. And what you see in our world today is competing forms of basically the same thing. Everyone is going after their own glory, their own wealth, their own power. And of course, this is nothing new. This is, this is nothing new. This is how the world, you say, how the world turns. And yet at the same time, we get lulled to sleep, if you will, by this pursuit ourselves. Because all of us need to live, Right? All of us need to take care of our families. All of, us, all of us want to have meaning and purpose in life. And we can get lulled to sleep. In fact, the, the, obviously the picture in, in the Bible here in Revelation 17, 18 is the idea of getting drunk. Is we get lulled into just this, this fantasy, if you will, about what our lives mean and what we're trying to do and how we just got to take care of ourselves. All of us can be tempted into that. And that's why the other city is presented in Revelation, not just because it's the culmination of God's work, but it's also this alternative to, to Babylon that's being presented. And so the kind of the, we need to have, not, not only do we need to beware of the trending city, but we need to have a vision for the eternal city. And this takes us to Revelation 21. It says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more, neither shall there be any mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. And also he said, Write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. And he said to me, It is done. I am the Alpha, the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give from the the spring of water of life without payment. To the one who conquers will have this heritage, and I will be his God, and he will be my son. But as for the cowardly, the faithless, the detestable, as for murderers, the sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars, their portion will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. 
here we have a second city. And this city is in direct contrast to that first one, right? Can I just point out some of the contrasts first? There's grace versus transactions, right? There's grace. He says, to the thirsty, I will give of the water of life without payment. In, in this city, it's not about can we transact so that I get what I want and maybe you get what you want, but you've got to watch out for yourself. It's, it's grace. And this grace comes to us freely like a, a fountain of living water, if you will, which is what it is in a sense, of, of life, of hope, of, of a relationship with God, of satisfaction in God. Because that's obviously the next major thing that's part of the city that's way different from Babylon, and that's dwelling with God. Versus that getting rid of God and twisting God and mocking God. The, the, there's this respect for God. and this, this, He's saying, I'm going to dwell with men and they're going to dwell with me. We're going to be one people together. And in this city, God, the, the whole point is that we're with God. That we can rejoice in his presence. That we get to walk with him and know him and fellowship with him. We get to, even though he is all powerful and almighty, yet he walks with us and knows us and we know him as well. And the point of existence is no longer can I build up my own glory and make my, myself great and find out meaning and purpose for my life, but I get my meaning and purpose from the God of the universe who made me. And my glory comes as I walk with him. And this city is, is, is to be then a reminder that there's no death or pain or sorrow Versus in Babylon, the death and sorrow as pain is drugged by comfort, by luxury. Man, if I can get what I want, if I can be, have a luxurious life, who cares how I die, right? <laughs> or I can muffle the pain of my existence through drugs and through just, just this luxury of life. I can, I can not worry about the pains and sorrows that I feel on a da daily basis because at least I've got some money. And this is, this is just, he's, he says, going to wipe every tear from their eye. Like, we, frankly, we cannot imagine an existence where there is no sorrow. <laughs> we face sorrows every day. Whether it's a, a test that goes wrong, an expectation of a friend that, that falls apart. But, but to imagine a city where God is present and God is working and God is there, involved, and we have we have friends and family around us, and we are rejoicing together in his, God's goodness and his greatness, and we don't face death, and we don't face separation, and we don't face pain. This is, that, this is the city that is being prepared for us. And it's the one that's won for us by Jesus Christ. He's, he's the one who allows no death and no pain and so, sorrow. Why? Because he died on the cross for us. He paid the price he conquered the death on our behalf. And, and this city is the one that we long for, the one that we should have a vision for. The, our life is not, does not consist of this life alone in the 70, 80, 90, 100 years that we might live. Our life consists in the eternal life with or without God. And so we, we have that that parameter in how we view our lives. Another aspect here is there's family versus independence. In Babylon, everyone's independent. It's all about establishing your own independence and, and figuring out how I can stand on my own two feet, how I can survive by myself, how I can make myself great. 
And, and a family is about interdependence. It's the fact that, yes, we want, we want our children to grow up and, and to be in relationship with us and to, to, to have their own skills and abilities and do good in the, in the world and do good together with us. But we're there for them. We're not like, just go do it on your own. We're, we're going to do our thing. You go do your thing, right? I mean, that's one of the key things in Malachi, right? At the end of Malachi, he's saying that the prophets are sent wide to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the children to the fathers, right? That, that, that parents to children and children relationship is now, is now dynamic and, and joyful and, and good rather than like, well, you're just a burden on us until we can go live our own lives, <laughs> No, we're, we're, we're joyful in being interdependent together, caring for one another, but doing good to one another, providing for one another, but then encouraging one another to do, do things that we cannot do ourselves. And then we see this family of God. He dwells with us. We're his people, and we work together. It's also kind of this idea of family versus two classes, or you could say one, one people versus two classes, right? Because he says, we're one people together, all together. But you see in Babylon, it's basically two, the rich and the slaves. You say, well, what about the middle class? Well, the middle class overall is, is, is people who, who want to be rich. <laughs> they're, 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 they got enough to, to have security in life. And it's not all of us together, but in this new city, we're all together. We're, we're dwelling with God. We're rejoicing with God together. And there's another aspect here, though, that's true as well, that you, there's a city, but there's also this lake of fire that's part of this picture of the city. It doesn't, it's not excluded. And it, it's to understand that destructive people are judged in the city. They, the, the people in, in the city who who are, are, are destructive and unhelpful and unkind and, and, you know, destructive in a variety of ways, and it lists off a variety of ways there in Revelation 21. In, in this city, in, in the city of Babylon, they're celebrated if they have power, right? If they have power, they're wealthy, then we, we follow them, even if they're destructive, even if they lie, if, if they do destructive things. But in this city, the New Jerusalem, destructive people are judged. They're, they're not allowed to destroy. And that, again, is one because of Jesus Christ and what he has done. And so as we think about our lives, how do we put these two cities together, at least for right now? And, and one of the things I think that's key here is that we care for our current city. And, it, and we can talk about Ames, or we can talk about Story County. We, you know, most of us are from probably that, that county, and we, we live in, in cities, yes, we, we live amongst people who they're hoping to find meaning and purpose in life. And even if they don't find meaning and purpose, at least they're hoping to find enough wealth that at least they're not totally scared all the time. Scared about what's next. Scared about how the economy is going to go. Scared about what the world situation is going to happen. What, scared about the next war that's going to happen. And they're looking for just enough, maybe, to get over that. We, we, we live in a world that's, that's not safe, that's falling apart. And we know that there's an eternal city waiting. The question is, is do, we, do we love the people around us enough to point that out to them? 
We, we have the truth. We know the hope that comes from Jesus Christ. But there are so many people around us who don't know. And in some ways that starts just as we did today with our kids. Our children need to know the hope of the eternal city. They, they can grow up and they can have friends and they can look around at the world around them and they can say, wow, okay, hmm. Man, everybody's getting some glory here. I want a little glory. Maybe I need to get rich too. Or maybe I can just get, get glory another way. And I, I think of sports is, is, is a good thing in itself. Sports is great, but sports can promise so much glory and deliver so little. There's probably nothing that does it quite like sports, right? Because like you can, you can get the trophy you know, of the tournament for you know, Davenport for 2022 in soccer or whatever, right? What is that? Nobody cares but the people who are involved, right? And then coaches will demand hours from their kids, and they'll demand sacrifice from their kids. And it's good to learn how to compete. I'm not saying that. It's good to learn how to be skilled with your body. I'm not saying There's a lot of good things about sports. But if sports becomes this substitute for God and his glory, <laughs> then it destroys. It destroys. It becomes all of, it just turns the kids all about themselves and all about what th their own glory and what they want out of life. Rather than helping them to learn how to play on a team and learn how to be a, a blessing to others and how to work together. We, we live in a, in a world that's seeking their own lives, their own meaning out of life, but it's going to destroy them. That's also why we believe in the sanctity of life, right? It's called the Sanctity of Life Sunday. Why? Because we believe that every life, no matter whether it was wanted or not, is valued by God, is made in the image of God, and deserves care and concern and love. And we as the church need to be, in a sense, the light of the world in this way. We need to care for people. We need to care for the people around us. We need to point them. Sometimes we, we talk, we do, how, well, how do you do this? And, I, and I've heard different ways of doing it. Like sometimes Christianity is presented as values. Like, look at our values. We, we, we want the glory of God and we want good for the world and we want these things. And that's, that's, those are true, but that's not the ultimate thing about the Christianity. The ultimate thing about Christianity is grace. It's that we receive grace from God even though we have turned our backs on him. He loves us even though we ignore him. And it's not about us, it's in what we want out of God, but it's out of Christ and what Christ did for us. He came, he died on the cross, he rose again to show us eternal life. And so we need to be the light of the world. We need to, to, to look around and say, you know what, how can I share grace with my neighbors? Even when they can sin against me, as they do, as I sin against them sometimes too, I'm not perfect. We're not perfect. It's about sharing grace where we can. It's about pointing people and saying, you know what, this is, my life is not about me and what I can accomplish and what I can accumulate. You know, I, there was this guy I knew, an old gentleman. He, he, uh, he, he, he bought three boats 
but he couldn't use them right then. And so he stored them. Well, things happened, you know. And he, he uh, just never got around to using the boats, but he kept paying the, 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 the storage fee. You know, and life goes on, things happen, you, you forget about, you know, just other, other parties pop up. Eventually he realized that he had been paying storage for those three boats for 20 years and never used them. He had paid over $60,000 just to store the boats. I don't care what kind of boat you have, you know what I mean? Well, maybe a yacht, but you, have, but you know what I mean? But for most of us, right, a boat's a boat, you know. You, you could buy, you know, a lot of really nice boats for $60,000, right? Because here's the deal, after 20 years, those boats aren't worth anything. I don't, you know what I mean? You could store them. They, they fall apart, right? We live in a world that falls apart, that's full of rusts and decay. And you can buy a boat and store it for 20 years, and then you don't have a boat anymore. You have nothing, What are we living for? We know that there's something that's worth living for. Eternal life with God. Forever with him and his family. Are, are we living for that? And I would challenge us to love our current city. Not to look down on them and say, oh, you idiots. No, we're all in the same boat. We've all been blinded by Babylon at times. We've all been seduced. We've all been lulled to sleep at times. But we have the light of the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ shining to us and in us. And we can care for those around us. And just, just a challenge. As you think about how you structure your life, can you at least once a week share something good with a neighbor, a coworker, a friend? Maybe it's just a simple matter of can I sit down for coffee once a week and listen to them and care for them? Know them. You know, we, we don't know each other very well in today's world. We're, we're busy getting stuff done. Can, can, you, can you stop your rabbit race just enough to go, okay, you know what, I'm going to have coffee. I'm going to get to know, I'm going to know them. I'm going to listen to them. I'm going to care for them. Idiots. You can do that in a variety of ways. It doesn't have to be sit down for coffee. But you, but you get the point. Is do you, uh, Like just once a week, can you focus and say, okay, I'm going to see how, who I can care for this week. Why? Because this world is caught up and is being sucked toward Babylon. And Babylon is going to be destroyed going to die. And the promises it makes are going to be empty. But we have a new city, a new Jerusalem that we can look forward to. And so that is why we exist. We exist to, to help parents raise their children just, just like these up here and others out there. Why? To remember that there's an eternal city that's waiting for us. That this city in which we live amongst and in, in a sense, with all its lies and its distortions and its destruction, is not the end. But because of Jesus, because of his death, because of his resurrection, 
We have hope of an eternal city. So will you live for that city? I know one of the things that we, we do provide, people get caught up, right? One of the things we do as a church is we provide counseling. We have counseling service. And if you know people who are caught up in the destructiveness of this life, we encourage you to use people and point people to counseling that's going to help them to understand that eternal city that they can look forward to. But my biggest, I guess my biggest thing is just for this question. I, I, it says, Revelation 21, the end says, I saw no temple in the city, for its temple is the Lord God, the Almighty, and the Lamb. Right? There's, God is with us. He's amongst us. And the city has no need of sun or moon to shine in it, for the glory of God gives it light, and its lamp is the Lamb. By its light will the nations walk, and the kings of the earth will bring their glory into it. And its gates will never be shut by day, and there will be no, there will be no night there. It will bring it into it the honor and the glory of the nations. We're all going to end up glorifying and worshiping God. Is that what your life is about? Will you, will you care for your current city by having a vision for the eternal one? That's what we live for. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your goodness to us, that you give us hope not in just accumulating a certain amount of wealth and hoping that we can avoid some pains in this life until we die. But you give us hope of eternal life with you forever. And so, Lord, we, we ask that we would keep this in mind this year. So we think about our lives and what we're going to pursue this year, that it would not just be about how I can accumulate wealth, which is going to fall apart anyway, nor how can I just find my own meaning and purpose in life, but how I can walk with you, how I can enjoy you, and enjoy the ones you love, the people around me that you have put in my life. Help me to care for them just as you care for me. In your son's name I pray. Amen.